0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe.
0: Hello, and welcome to Unlaced with Chalk and Bates. I'm Madison Chalk.
2: And I'm Evan Bates, and we're Olympic ice dancers for Team USA.
0: If you're into sports betting... Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Head to their new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50 to receive your bonus. Today we have a very special episode for you. We have our first ever guest on Unlaced, Christopher Dean.
2: Chris is the 1984 Olympic champion in ice dance and widely considered to be the greatest of all time. He is a constant source of inspiration to the two of us, and we were so thrilled to get the chance to sit down and talk to Chris. So without further ado, here's our interview.
0: (laughs) So Chris, thank you so much for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. I know you're a highly efficient person and very punctual, so we're going to jump right in.
1: Oh, great. Thank you. Lovely to be on the um, first guest on your podcast.
2: We are so honored to have you here today. A few episodes ago, we were taking questions from listeners, and somebody asked, What's your favorite program of all time? And immediately, the first thing out of Maddie's mouth was Bolero. Of course, Bolero. And
0: <laughs> yeah, so recently I just went down a YouTube rabbit hole watching all of yours and Jane's <laughs> programs and videos. And I was just like, Oh my God, they're so amazing. Like, I'm certain that if you came back to competition today, you would still be just as dominant as ever and uh, oh,
1: well you flatter us on, on that way but trust me not gonna happen <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I found myself I was just watching and I was like oh my god that's so hard and Evan was sitting and yeah he would just hear me I randomly the, utter like oh my god have you seen this
2: Can I was you on the other side of the room we're both watching our own Torvalon <laughs> Dean programs and just uttering like that's so hard like how do they do that oh my god we're gonna have to ask Chris how to do that
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's quite amazing because occasionally you know um on facebook or something somebody will post something which leads you to something and i'm still coming across bits and pieces that i can't remember doing um but they're up there so it must have we must have done it at some time <laughs> just the other day i saw something from the british championships which was way back in 1978 or 77 something like that and, and you know those old um tv reruns that you see that it's all blurry and it was black and white <laughs> so that's how long ago it was
2: <laughs> but the content and the creativity is still relevant and just i mean i can't even imagine what it was like at that time to for an audience member that's what i was saying to maddie last night can you imagine seeing them live mm. like they come out and they just do things that you're like is that you've the never same seen sport? before
0: it's incredible
1: well you're very kind thank you
2: So we want to start just at the beginning. You start at age 10. Your first ice dance partner is age 14, if I'm correct. But ice dance only became an Olympic event in 76 when you're 18. So when you started, you must not have really even had the Olympics on your radar. So when did the Olympic dream begin for you?
1: You know what? Um, It sort of crept upon us, really. Um, We started skating together, Jane and myself, when we were 15 years old. And um, it was just a a sense that we'd both started skating and that I actually left school very early on um, at the age of 15 and a half and became, well, a policeman. Well, in actual fact, it was a police cadet. And we always sort of joke that a police cadet, the order of things are, you know, you go down the ranks and then eventually you get to a policeman, then you get to a police dog and then you get to a cadet. (laughs) So I started as a cadet for a while. Um, and then became a policeman, but, um, Oh, you skipped
0: over the police dog. (laughs) Well,
1: Well. the police dog was, you know, way ahead. I I had aspirations (laughs) to get beyond that. Um, (laughs) but, um, we, we started skating together and, and really we, I think that we just had a passion to want to skate and that our previous partners, um, went off somewhere else and it left us in a void. And fortunately, you know, uh, England's not a very big place, but there aren't that many ice rinks. And at that time, we were both at the same ice rink. And it was a suggestion of a coach at that time, uh, Janet Sawbridge, who was a a world competitor. Um, She had started coaching, and she had come up to teach myself and my previous partner. And after about six weeks, the previous partner left. And so she was desperate to find... A partner for me and Jane was in a similar situation you know I think she was all of 15 and most probably too late to be a single skater because she'd been a pair skater and she was a successful pair skater in, in the British anyway and uh, they were champions when she was 13 and uh, so she was sort of um, ruled the roost at the rink in a sense that you know whenever they were skating people got out the way and, and all of that so Eventually, she found herself without a partner. I found myself without a partner. So Janet said, why don't you two skate together? And everybody at the rink said, well, she's a free skater or a pair skater. She's not a dancer. And um, I just wanted a partner, to be honest. (laughs) And then so we said, yes, okay, well, we'll give it a go. And then that morning... When we first got together, the very first morning, you also remember it, it, it was on a Thursday morning. It was um, at six a.m. Um, we we had to go in, open the rink up ourselves, put the lights on. And our our, our rink is one of those old, cold, damp, dirty kind of places at the time. And you know, as you put the lights on, you see the rats and the mice scatter. Um, oh my and gosh. so we put it, switch everything on, and. Um, the first thing that Janet did to us was get into dance hold, so into dance hold, and she made us our bellies, stomachs touch, and then she left us there for like ten minutes while she went up and did other things. What an ice break! And we breaker. sort of I, I, absolutely, and that was the whole point of it, you know, is how comfortable can you be with this new person? And so there we stood. So. Sort of, looking around so we'd sort of start chatting to each other but that was that was the beginning of it and um that was That's our incredible. first start and um and then you know after a week or so Janet would say uh, well um how's it been going We're like, yeah it's good so we didn't want to jinx it by saying yeah we think we're going to give it a go So after a month, she would ask again. And we still weren't in that place that like, oh. And even to this day, we haven't agreed that we're going to continue skating with each other. (laughs) You're not sure about the (laughs) Yeah, we're working on it, you know. It's a slow burn.
0: Oh, well, it turned out to be the best burn.
1: Oh, thank
2: you. So we knew about the police background when we got the lucky chance to collaborate with you on some programs, you passed down that that rule to always step with your left foot first. And I know that that was, <laughs> that was taught to you at the Police Academy. But what
1: other influences right.
2: did that time in your life have the police, on the discipline and the work ethic that you guys had?
1: Yeah, well, I've never been a late person. It's, it's not within me. I get anxious if I'm late. And so the police definitely um, solidified that. And then... Um, in later years with Jane, her, her, her timekeeping is always like push it to the last minute. She 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 feels that it's a success. As she's stepping onto the airplane, the door closes. That's being on time. <laughs> and, and my philosophy is if you're not 10 minutes early, you're already late. So um, they're the little differences. But I think, you know, together with over time, we've, we you know, we found... This in a partnership, you must know this that it's the respect for each other um, and that you would expect that person to be doing the right things and turning up at the right times and and that's something that you gain in a partnership i think that becomes ultimately successful um you, you can you, you have respect for each other and at the same time you understand each other um, their needs and where they're at and you know as teenagers we 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 grew up from being early teens all the way through our life we've we've gone through all the evolutions of of life now you know we are even at the stage where some friends are passing away now so you know we, we've gone through the gambit of life of having children and all of those things and and nowadays you know we can we can have conversations without talking
0: mm-hmm. and just going off of what you said i I do feel like there is always one person in the partnership that is more punctual than the other one. Uh, <laughs> like just from knowing us and knowing some of our friends, like I can certainly say who is punctual and who is not punctual. And just to let you know, he's a punctual one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that
1: resonated a bit when you when you described that yeah, dynamic. And you allow that to happen, is right, Madison. I mean, like he will get me there yeah, on I'm time. Like,
0: He's like you move like molasses. Let's go,
2: (laughs)
1: glacial. I (laughs) said glacial. He said glacial glacial pace.
0: Yeah, there
2: you
1: go. But it's perfect
0: because I'm on the ice. So (laughs) glacier is ice. I'm technically skating. This holiday season, say goodbye to the dull gifts. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the brightest gift of the year. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, they've cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds you can find at a light price of $800 per carat. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off and the key to making every outfit sparkle. You and Jane have always been at the forefront of ice dance and pushing the boundaries of creativity. And we know you as the main choreographer. So what inspires you when you choreograph?
1: Um, you know, there's uh, it's so many things. It's not one thing per se. And I think it depends on the people. It depends um, on the event. Uh, so many factors that go into it, whether it's competitive, whether it's for show whether it's for an arts piece, um, all of those factors go into it. And, um, you know, sometimes it's the music, sometimes it's the idea, and then finding the music for the idea. Um, But then I I really like to get very technical and into the music to understand all the nuances of the the music. And I like to go relatively prepared. I've got a, a lot of things in my head that I bring to the table, but from that, it's a jumping off point to somewhere else. I use that as a as a, as a starting point. And then I like to allow whoever I'm choreographing with, um, you know, if, if they've got those skills to then add to that and bring something of them to the table as well, because it's not, skating is not necessarily um, like a dance choreographer in the sense that the choreographer has the idea and the dancers he molds, you know, he's like, I want this, this, and this. And I think with certainly ice dancing, each couple become their own entity and their own abilities. And you, you need to work with that as well to get the best out of it. Cause I'm not going to work with somebody that I, I can see I've got this idea and I'm forcing it on them and it's just not working. Um, I I want to work and allow them to bring something else to the table as well. And like I say, there'll be an idea, a spark of an idea, a concept, and then uh, allowing it to flow from that, but still having an overall vision of what you want to get out of it.
2: So what was then the backstory behind the creation of Bolero? Was that music that inspired you?
1: Yeah, well, um, each year after the championships, you know, literally, as the championship ends, um, let's say the world's in '81, which was a surprise for us to win. We we weren't expected um, to win that year, but we did. And literally, the next day, um, our thoughts go to music. What's next? Where we're we going? And so each year, it's a constant. You're always sort of cataloguing music as you go along, and as you go along. And so by the time we got to um, 1984 or the end of 83, going into 84, it was a question of okay, what is the music? And what we had been using was bolero, the, the full orchestral piece, which is, you know, depending on how fast the leader plays, whether it's 18 and a half minutes or 22 minutes, um, we would use it as a warm up and we put it on, and that was our 20 minute stroking exercising together and by the end of that 20 minutes okay now we'll start our compulsories or original dance or free dance whichever it may be but that that was that was our warm-up program and as we um started to think about 84 we we you know we obviously we came with our bucket load of ideas and musics and and sat down with our trusted people at the time Um, which was Courtney Jones and Bobby and ourselves. And Bolero came up and we all went, Bolero, it's one piece of music, but, and it's slow, but it's slow, but it's got a constant marching beat. But what, what's beautiful and incredible about Bolero, it crescendos, it grows, it just rises up to a climactic end. And so, um, it seemed the ideal piece of music. And we felt like it was original, that, you know, it's, it wasn't the three or four pieces of music that were sometimes spliced together somewhat randomly. Or, you know, we, we'd we already been going uh, down those orchestral themes anyway, you know, with Barnum and with Mac and Mabel. Um, so um, Bolero for us was this classical departure, but at the same time, in our heads, we always liked a narrative. We always wanted something. Thought of what it was about and where it was going, and so ultimately, you know, it's a Romeo Juliet um, esque story in our heads two lovers that from different families couldn't be together so ultimately they were um, climbing up um, the volcano getting higher and higher and their love stronger and stronger and ultimately they're united together as one as they throw themselves into the volcano that's our narrative that's crazy and whatever it sounds but you know it's it's a passion it's Mm -hmm. there's a, a an internal energy to it and that's where it came from. Um, and, and that's what drove, you know, from that very, um, on the ice on our knees, a very small, and as it grows, if you, if you, if you watch it, it's almost like a winding path, um, choreographically, that's sort of winding its way up to the, the edge of the volcano.
0: That's brilliant. I love the, (laughs) I didn't know about the volcano piece of it. I got the Romeo and Juliet vibe though. I, I definitely feel that, but wow, the
1: volcano. What a fiery way Well, to the, at the end, out. that's why we sort of slid down and ended on the ice, laid out. Oh, so that was the final bit volcano. in death, but united together. I love that. Oh, that's so beautiful so and poetic. There was depth, you know, in our head. I always feel like I like a narrative.
0: Um, mm-hmm. Oh, it makes a huge difference
1: to drive something to where it's mm-hmm. going. You know, where, you know whether it whether it's a, a strong, serious piece like that, or um, if it's somewhat tongue in cheek. But there's always this sort of narrative, um, and that's one of the hardest things, actually, humor um, on the ice to carry it off that it yeah, doesn't look slapstick, it right. but it looks doing it right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you time. get to
0: the Olympics in Sarajevo, and by that time, you've won three world titles and. You're the overwhelming favorite. Were there nerves happening still in your body? Like, what did it feel like to step on the ice? What What went through your head?
1: Obviously, there are, there are nerves, um, but I think the build up and every, everybody's um, way of training is the way that you repeat it and you repeat it. You know, the, it's a the tip of the iceberg when you see that final performance. You know that that what you do is that it's not a lucky performance it's the performance that you've worked towards putting in all those groundwork all those hours um, to get it as consistent and as good as you can make it and so going into it but at at the end of the time at the end of the day you know life performances ice conditions little trips little accidents can happen and so you never know what's going to happen but you practice to the nth degree to try and find out all the possibilities. And um, going to the Olympics, we actually, um, we, we, we traveled because we went to, we trained in Oberstdorf in Germany. And so we traveled with the German team to get to uh, Sarajevo on the train, which took over 20 hours to get there. and And, and as we arrived, oh um, you know, the British contingent were there and the press were there. And, we, and in Oberstdorf, and the way that we worked, we liked to be in isolation. And this was before social media and everything. So it, it was limited accessibility to us and certainly as broadcasting anything that we were doing. Whereas, you know, obviously today the pressures of what's happening and social media and what everybody's doing, it's so accessible minute by minute of the day um, whereas for us we we lived in our bubble in in training in Oberstorf, and we got on the train then suddenly we arrived at Sarajevo and from the train uh, to getting to uh, the village uh, you know it was a massive media for us and so for us it was like whoa okay um, and 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 it was more of a from the press's point of view, and certainly, you know, the, the way it was relayed to certainly hearing Great Britain, it, it were the favorites and it's ours to lose. And so you don't really want to hear um, those concepts and those ideas because, as you say, it puts so much pressure on. And all we want to do is, is to get there, go do our skate, do the skate, and get it done because those final weeks. In Oberstdorf, that's how we train. We we wouldn't necessarily put then hours on the ice that um, we would go on, do our warm ups, do um, the routine and clear the ice and practice that several times throughout the day, as opposed to, you know, we'd worked on all the elements of it throughout the year to get to that point. And so those last two weeks were like constant training of just going on, doing the routine, getting off the ice. And you know what it's like, that it's a good feeling to know that you can just take to the ice, skate around a few times, put the music on, do the number and get off and do that again consistently without that idea of like, oh, no, I've got to do every part of my program, run it through. And you've done, the idea is that you do all of that outside of that last period and that last period is that training of when you go to the Olympics and and of course you know you're being watched it's it's not training when you're at the Olympics Uh, you're being judged whilst you're on the ice and everything that you do every time you step on the ice and so we were trying to get into that um that that setting ahead of time so we knew that Every time that we went on it was a it was basically a performance, and every time we went on, we would run through everything. Um, you know, if it was the original dance, we'd get on, we'd warm up for our two minutes, depending where you are in the line. Um, but then we wouldn't train anything in between if we were at the last. So we would gauge our time, do our warm- ups together, music, music on, get off the ice. And, you know, I think it was a, a psychological thing for us to say we're ready and for all the other couples to see, oh, what well, they just come on and do it and get off. <laughs> and that's <laughs> it. <laughs> highly
0: so, efficient. So, you know,
1: highly efficient. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and And it was a performance every time. You're very yeah, ready. Very ready.
2: Ready to put on a show. And then you go and you do put on a show. But for you its old hat at that point and then the scores come up. well and-
1: you say you say that but the actual performance um people say um do you remember it but it, you know that thing that they call in the zone
2: mm-hmm.
1: um we were in the zone it was it, it, it almost like happened for itself i mean it wasn't autopilot by any means but it was very much just the two of us there and then doing what we had done in every practice, not trying to do it any bigger than we've ever done it before. But certainly when I look at it now, I look at it from outside that, from what I remember doing it, because it was almost, uh, you know, you're in a trance Uh, for us it was anyway when we did that performance and it's only watching videos after the fact that you look you stand outside of it and watch the performance but i can't sort of replicate how i felt because it was at the time um like a trance
0: yeah you were just in the state of flow
2: that special moment where everything comes together and becomes this this iconic olympic moment and then the scores come up and it's an iconic perfect all sixes for artistic interpretation so is was that a surprise and what did that feel
1: like the problem was again not only we were expected to win but how many sixes are you going to get because each year we progressively got more sixes for our original set pattern or freelance and compulsories even and so um the, the obviously getting that was outstanding from our point of view, but everybody was like, "Well, how many sixes did you get this time?" And so it's the pressure of like how perfect so can it out. be, <laughs> um, yeah. And, and so from that point of view, uh, it was a relief, you know. It it was, and it's also for us. It, we we practiced, rehearsed, got to that point, completed it successfully, and it was such eu- eu- euphoria. Um, but we had no plans. Well, we had a world championship coming up after that, but after the world championships in the Olympic year, we hadn't made any plans because it was true Olymp- uh, true amateur sports time. And so we couldn't earn any money. We couldn't get any, um, sign any contracts or anything like that. So we were sort of in void after all of the farrah that had happened of what's next. And little did we know, you know, since our career, we've skated together now for forty seven years and so um, we would have never envisaged that we'd be still here talking to current champions um, um, still skating uh, talking about their career, you know <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah never we have we've
2: heard it. so many stories about your professional skating career uh-huh. and you know ten minute long numbers, you and Jane skating multiple times in the show and it it just all sounds so physically demanding. And so I wonder, was when you turned pro, was it harder on your body? Was it harder physically than competing?
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because we would be doing eight shows a week with our own show. And that's so if it's your own show, you feel and 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 it's got your name above the manor. And we choreographed it, put it together. So we also had to be present. I mean, it's the early days. It was before Holiday Nights Ice and all of the old shows were going. But this was something new. This is your show. And how much should you be out there? And so, yeah, now our first tour, which went on for nearly a year and a half um, around the world, eight shows a week, we were doing 10 numbers a night nearly 10 numbers wow. and you know encounter was six minutes we did four th- three dances we did two big ensemble numbers as well uh, a comedy piece um yeah so that was every night we we would lose five pounds of sweat every night
0: oh my goodness did you go through more pairs uh, of skates and, during your professional career oh then? yeah your yeah. amateur
1: career yeah although you wanted to hang on to them as long as you could, though, because <laughs> breaking new skates in during, a you know, uh, a working period, it's the worst thing to have to try and do. Oh, but I so, can imagine. You, know, you know, at least every six months we were going through them. And we would have rotations like three or four sets of blades as well oh so goodness. that we could just screw one lot off and put the next lot on. And eventually I learned how to do skate sharpening. So that helped a little bit, too.
0: Yeah, yeah it's, uh, being efficient and doing it for yourself.
1: Ten years of that. Yeah. I, I mean.
0: So after all of that, and then they changed the rules so you could go back mm-hmm. to competitive skating. Did it yeah. seem like that would be easy because you've had all of this professional training under your belt, and two, no, three numbers would just be a walk in the park. What What brought you Absolutely. back to competitive would, skating?
1: That was definitely that sort of, oh, this would be a walk in the park. (laughs) Um, But to go back, you know, 10 years after the Olympics and come back again, we thought that was sort of a big milestone as well to to be able to do that. And, you know, because we've been performing so much, we were very fit. And so as that opportunity came up, we took it. And it was a new challenge for us. So, you know, it was inspiring for us. But, it, you know, you, you understand the, the politics and the vibe of the time. I think people felt like, oh, they're just coming back to get another, be in the Olympics and claim some limelight again, which it wasn't that at all. It really was a, a personal challenge for ourselves. And so uh, coming back into it, we'd certainly felt outside of it um as before when we were definitely at the front and center and leading it so it was a it was a different um feeling altogether of of coming back for that olympic year but you know we i'm so glad what we did it we wanted to do it um it pushed us again and um you know it, it kept some more longevity came from it as well
2: yeah and, and you mentioned the political climate and it was an incredibly interesting time in world history, in skating history. The Soviet Union had just broken up. It had clearly impacted the scope of the judging panel. And I wonder how much did that political climate weigh on you leading in, and, and how did you deal with that?
1: Well, it did, and um, it, was, um, it was a difficult time, to be honest. Um, the, the, the training and everything... Throughout the year was we enjoyed, but then as it got to um, the competition time, it was definitely we, we felt we, we felt the pressure and we felt the politi- politicization of it of feeling outside of it. And as you said, um, Soviet Union split up, and yet there was still a lot of um, satellite countries that had always been aligned with the Soviet Union as well. So they each had their own judge. And so the, the panel, um, you know, could be quite a biased panel, let's say. I'm not saying that particular year it was, but it could easily have been that, and, and we felt that. Um, and it wasn't. it wasn't as, obviously, people were looking, watching us as well. Are they as good? Can they still do it? And you know we had a lot of input like we we want to bring it back to ice skating we want to put dance back into dance um, so we were taking on all of the this advice and where we're heading and and I think it was a different perspective from 10 years earlier when you could lead because you were at the forefront but when you're coming back into something um, you don't necessarily um, have the credentials again to say, well, this is what I think is what it's about now. And I think what, what happened that we had a lot of input from a lot of people and maybe our original concept got diluted somewhat. Um, and, and that's where I've, you know, you learn from that. And one of my big things is like, you know, really trust your gut, trust what you, you feel is right. If you, if you have that capacity to, to feel it, Um, as opposed to be told it, and um, that's one bit of advice I've always tried to work with moving forward. It's like, if it feels right to me, I'm going to go with it, um, regardless of other critics.
0: So you may have been advised to skate to something that you weren't necessarily the most passionate about, or maybe it wouldn't have been your first choice had you gone with your gut, and I just wonder. Was there something else that you had in mind that you wanted to skate to, but maybe never got the chance to compete it?
1: You know, um, I've always been, <laughs> um, um, at this time you couldn't do that anyway, but um, Gabby and Guillaume did it. And I think I spoke with Marie France a couple of years before that, but the spoken word with context of music behind it, um, mm-hmm. for me, that was sort of the next sort of um, step forward. Um, but not just that, but a rhythmic sound, even repetitive sounds that sound rhythmic in the way that you say things. Um, mm-hmm. That that was always something that I felt was. But you know, that's often this very artistic tangent. Um, and I, I think you know, the deeper you get into it, anything you want to explore and experiment in those areas. Um, but it's not necessarily a mass audience thing that. You know, not everybody goes. That's great. You know, it, it's it's niche, um, mm-hmm. but that's what art is. Sometimes, isn't it? It's um, mm-hmm. it's pushing those boundaries and going further. But I'm yeah. not saying that in in by any means that popular populist skating isn't great as well. But I think there are there are things that you want to try for yourself to experiment with. <clears throat> and you don't always have the forums to be able to do it. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's still something that I, 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 I'd I like, I'd like to work with, you know, young, talented skaters to be able to do something like that. Mm-hmm.
0: I feel like when you do have ideas like that, and that may be a little bit out of the box, I often find like at least recently for us, and I would say like Gabby and Guillaume have had some programs like that, the program, like, speaks through the skater. And if, if you're passionate about it, it often comes through yeah, and you can show reads. the audience something they, they didn't know they wanted to see, which yeah, I think absolutely. is a really unique thing about our sport and something that you have done so well as a choreographer. Well, one
1: one one tour that we did with um, the Russian All-Stars, we did a whole company piece of Philip Glass, um, which was a 15-minute number. And, you know, it's very... Out of the box and left a field, it's all about and the Pharaoh, and Philip Glass music. You know, it's minimalist music that sort of ebbs and flows, and um, it's challenging sometimes to listen to, or at least you know if if you're if you're not familiar with it. And so um, that for me was you know things like that um, get me going. They're the, mm-hmm. the inspiration.
2: As a choreographer, you just create things that I have never seen on the ice before, tricks and little highlight moves that you and Jane were known for, and you've since distributed to other couples who you've worked with. Your most recent success, when you created the long program for Alyona and Bruno, that then became another iconic Olympic moment when they won Golden Pyeongchang, what was that moment like for you watching that, and did it in any way reflect your experience in Sarajevo, seeing them laying on the ice at, at the end, <laughs> wearing their purple costumes? Yeah. As a choreographer, what was that like?
1: Oh, you know, um, first of all, to work with such talent like that um, is a wonderful to be able to do. And again, it's learning how they move and what they want to do as well. And so it's it's sort of that push and pull of pushing them and them. Saying this is where we want to go, and and finding that dynamic. But ultimately, uh, watching that performance, uh, it, gave, it gave me shivers. You know, um, to feel that the, she, she, they had succeeded. Um, such great athletes, and certainly Alena. Um, you know, all the years that she's put into it um, was was. I just felt proud for them, and it was great to be. You know, a small part of that.
2: Mm.
0: Just following up on that, we have one final question for you, and that is, what advice would you give to an ice dance team preparing for the Olympic Games, aiming for the podium?
1: (laughs) You know, you've got to, you know what you have to do. You've done it many times. Um, Believe in yourself um, and, and, and skate with the passion that you have. Yeah. You know, you have that passion. I know you have that. I've seen that passion um, many times. And, you know, you you have this ability of connection between the two of you. And um, allow that to come out. Allow that connection that people believe you um, in what you're doing. And I do believe that is that eye contact, that feeling, that knowing that other person's there, that you actually become one on the ice then. So believe in yourself. You have that.
0: Brilliant.
2: Chris, thank you so much. You are such a huge inspiration to the two of us and to the skating world at large. You are a gift. And we
1: thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show.
0: And please say hi to Diesel and Karen for us. (laughs) Hope everyone's doing well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Happy holidays. I will pass it on. Happy
2: holidays. Thanks, guys. This has been an episode of Unlaced with Chalk and Bates. We want to say a big thank you to our special guest, Christopher Dean.
0: Chatting with you was such an inspiration, as it always is, and we're so grateful that you took the time to chat with us today.
2: Make sure you subscribe for future episodes and follow us on social media at Chalk Bates.
0: Talk to you soon. Bye!